The world needs cobalt, but not at the expense of the welfare of the people of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The Democratic Republic of the Congo is responsible for an estimated 70% of the world's supply of cobalt, an essential ingredient in many high-tech products, most notably electric vehicles. And with a soaring popularity of EVs, that demand will only increase in the years ahead. But what's going on within the smaller or artisanal cobalt mines of the DRC? Are workers being treated fairly with regard to land rights, health and safety, prevention of corruption and fraud, the presence of illegal child labor, and environmental protection. Today we learn of the results of a baseline study on the topic conducted by the Responsible Sourcing Network in partnership with the Department of Anthropology of the University of British Columbia. My guest, Raphael Debert, Minerals Program Associate with the RSN, tells us about the state of things in these smaller, mostly non-mechanized mines. With the world so dependent on DRC cobalt, do businesses, governments, and consumers outside the country really care? Here is my conversation with Raphael DeBear. Raphael DeBear, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bob. It's a pleasure to be here. Raphael, tell me about this new baseline study of artisanal and small-scale cobalt mining in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. How did you go about conducting it? Absolutely. So this study was actually funded by Google through the Responsible Minerals Initiative. The study is a partnership between the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada, and Responsible Sourcing Network based in the Bay Area, Auckland. The study is a, so a partnership between academic and industry interests, and we basically provided a baseline analysis of what is the state of cobalt ASM mining in the Congo. The study looks into different aspects of cobalt mining, from the state of artisanal cobalt currently, and a little in historical perspective as well, but also provides recommendations and analysis for future research and future action of the industry in this sphere. Cobalt mining has been at the fore of sustainability issues for the past five years, and we thought that there is a need for more collaboration between academic world and the industry. So this is how we started this project. And we just released the study in July 2021. How do you define artisanal and small scale? And how many of those entities are there in the DRC versus larger entities, larger mines? So artisanal and small scale mining is a concept that is based on the level of industrialization of the mine. So in all artisanal and small scale operations, there is no mechanization of the extraction of minerals. This is the main difference between industrial mining and artisanal mining. In terms of the Congo, there are hundreds of sites, even maybe thousands of sites, of artisanal mining in the different provinces in in the Congo. So there is artisanal mining of cobalt in the south, 
but there is also artisanal mining of gold or tungsten or tantalum. And these are mostly in the East. Up to this point, I have always heard the debate about the mining of these minerals in the DRC as being just mines in general. I hadn't previously heard about it being split up into large and artisanal and small-scale mining operations. Is one or the other more of an issue when it comes to unfair labor practices, child labor and the like, or is it just all mines in the DRC that need to be examined? So I think that like all mines need to be examined. The issues are very different between industrial and artisanal mining. So for example, in industrial mines, there is not really a risk of child labor, or it is a very, very small risk. The child labor risk is a very prominent risk in artisanal mining. However, you have different risks for industrial, for example, pollution, water and air pollution is a major risk in, in the Congo, corruption as well. So the risks are just like very different, but they both have very significant risks. So what did you find in your study and how did it track with what you expected to find in these smaller mining operations with respect to child labor or other concerns? I think it is important first to say that like, this study is a baseline study. And so we performed interviews with stakeholders, but we didn't go on the ground in Congo. This is a more long-term project that we have that we will hopefully do in the future. In terms of findings of this study, we found different issues at stake in ASM in, in Congo. The first issue is that currently the industry is focusing a lot on the issue of child labor, which is a very important issue. But when looking at the industry in Congo, child labor remains a relatively marginal topic. In this study, we actually argue for a more holistic approach to the risks in the ASM cobalt in terms of taking care of the root causes and not just the emotional risks of, for example, child labor. Um, one risk that we mention explicitly is the land right access. A lot of the issues linked to ASM cobalt in Congo are linked to the inability of miners to access land that are viable. So this is one issue that we found regarding the risk. If we look more at the response of the industry to this kind of risk, we also argued that there is a very unhealthy competition between all the responsible sourcing actors in the Congo. And this unhealthy competition doesn't help the situation. It actually exacerbates a lot of the, this tension. So we recommend for the industry to actually tackle this issue in a more collaborative way. And finally, like another lesson that we learned from this research is mostly the, the existence of responsible sourcing programs that are located mostly in the north, in Western countries, but without really taking into account the voices of Congolese people. And this is a critical aspect of this study. We argue that there is a need to engage with Congolese people that can be at the governmental level, but also civil society or the industry, and that this need will actually help us tackle issues of child labor or land rights or any other risks that can be happening in the industry. And this engagement with Congolese people must also be found in the academic level of research. And this is something that I am very passionate about. Well, help me to better understand what is the connection between land rights access and unfair labor standards, child labor, and other types of problems in the mines. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. Where is, what is the link there? The lack of access to land also spurs poverty issues. So like a lot of the land that is actually economically viable is located very far from population centers and from trading centers. 
which means that artisanal miners don't have access to this land. And this, in turn, creates economic disparities, which impact the lives of artisanal miners and pushes them to like, put their, for example, their kids in the mines to help them provide with more income. This is one thing. There is also the risks that are linked to the structure of the mines, including, for example, the collapse of the mines. So most of the land currently accessible to artisanal miners the ore is located too deep, which means that like the pits are very deep and that increases the level of risk in terms of collapsing or any other OHS accident. So this is also a, a major issue. But just to be clear, you said that the, the child labor, when you refer to it as marginal in the mines, do you mean that the treatment or the attention paid to it is marginal or the actual practice of it is marginal? No, the actual practice of it is relatively marginal. So like I, I think it's still important to remember that like, it still exists. It is still a major issue, but it shouldn't be the core issue of the action of the industry in, in the cobalt sector. A lot of the people that I talk to in Congo recognize the risk, but do not agree on the fact that it is the main risk. So, but if we do want to talk about the main risk, you're saying these larger issues need to be taken into account, but they also relate to the way in which workers are treated even if they're adult workers, are there other issues as well? I mean, in, in other parts of the DRC, there have been reports of forced labor that have also led to concerns about the mining of tin, the mining of tantalum, and the mining of gold. Did you detect that in the artisanal mines as well? Not really. The issue of forced labor in the tin, tungsten, and tantalum industries is linked to the existence of militias and armed groups around the mines. In the southern part of Congo, there are no armed groups, and that's why cobalt is actually not a conflict mineral. It is not under the, the definition of conflict minerals. So the idea of forced labor in cobalt is not really applicable. However, you can always make the argument that because of poverty dynamics, there is some forced labor but like linked to the idea of poverty, but not linked directly to the presence of an armed group, for example. Now, again, you say that you didn't do on-the-ground research in this particular study. Again, explain to me more about what were the actual sources of the information that allowed you to obtain your conclusions this time around. So we based the study on a series of 25 interviews that we did with supply chain actors, a lot of the actors being companies located in the West, but also governments, international organizations, and also civil society in the Congo itself. And then additionally to that, we performed a very in-depth literature review, analyzing all the academic work on this topic. And one important thing with this research, this baseline study, is that it aims at opening avenues for future research. It is not an end in itself. It is very much promoting avenues for the researchers in, in the future. But do you think, I mean, is it your hope going forward that you would want to expand the scope of your research to include on-the-ground interviews and on-the-ground experiences? And do you think that that would alter in any way the conclusions? Or do you trust the conclusions that you came to this time without the need for on-the-ground research? Yes, the hope to do an underground research is real. We really want to, to do that. However, as we also argue in the baseline study, we would like that to be done by Congolese people, maybe in partnership with RSN or the University of British Columbia. In terms of the results, the results will likely slightly change. This baseline study is very much oriented toward the supply chain. So this is a slightly different approach than the underground approach per se. I think that it will not always change the outcome, 
but it will actually provide us with more granularity in the results. At this point, how good a job do you think companies are doing in achieving the necessary visibility in their supply chains all the way to the mine to understand if their materials are coming from mines that use child labor or forced labor or anything like that? How good is that visibility right now? I think that like, there is a wide difference between companies. A lot of companies actually perform relatively well in terms of mapping their supply chains. They partner with different consulting companies and auditing companies to help mapping the supply chain. But like mapping is only one aspect of the, the issue. You can map your supply chain, but if you don't tackle the risks, if you don't implement actually due diligence on the supply chain, there is not really any reason to do it. In terms of their actions, for example, on the ground, we can see that there is only a handful of companies that are very much involved on the ground. These companies are, for example, a few auto manufacturers, a few electronic companies, and maybe a few upstream and midstream companies, traders or mining companies. Mm -hmm. I think this is a major issue. The industry should be coming together and not let a few companies tackling these issues. I also think that there is a need for more investments on the ground. Um, a few companies will invest a few million dollars, which is great, but it is not enough to actually really solve the issue. And finally, I do think that there is a need for more engagement with Congolese people, being the government in terms of, for example, updating the mining code or discussing any governmental or regulations issues and also the civil society. And I think companies have a significant power in this engagement. I have to say I'm rather surprised to hear that more progress hasn't been made. Given the regulations or directives that have come down from various governments, including those of the United States in the last few years, not necessarily bans on the use of these materials, but at least demands that companies demonstrate the visibility that they don't have such materials in their supply chain. Of course, a lot of that has to do with actual conflict minerals, and you say that cobalt is not officially classified in that area. But why do you think that more progress hasn't been made, given the awareness that we've seen based on government action in recent years? I think that there is an issue first in the complexity of the supply chains that we're talking about. These are supply chains with hundreds of suppliers that are very fluid, so like moving a lot all the time. So I think companies have a hard time to map their supply chain properly and to make sure that this mapping is reflected year after year and all the changes are reflected in, in this mapping. So this is one, one issue, and I think recognizing the complexity of that is very important for us. The additional issue is that Congo is still a very complex country, so engaging in Congo requires a very deep knowledge of the country, a very deep knowledge of the industry as well, and this can be very tricky to have. A lot of these companies will not really have specialists on, uh, for example, engagement with Congolese government or Congolese actors. And then I think that there is also some kind of a fear to engage in Congo. Um, there is a lot of corruption in the country, and a lot of the companies don't really want to be involved in this field for fear of corruption. So these are some of the limitations that I see. I do believe that the industry is making efforts to engage on some specific risks, very emotional risks, I would say, so for example, child labor. But once again, if they do not tackle the root causes, they can invest as much money as they want. They will not change the final outcome of ASM cobalt in, in the DRC. 
But if the root causes have to do with things like land rights access and a lot and things like that, it sounds like the solution lies within the Congo DRC itself. There's very little that outside governments and NGOs and outside organizations can do to influence, or is there something you can do to influence the actions of the Congolese government? Yeah, absolutely. It is a very complex situation. I think that there is clearly a role for the industry to play in terms of lobbying maybe the, the DRC government to make some, some positive changes in that. I think that also a lot of the land right issues are linked to the ownership of the land by foreign companies. And also at the, at the governmental level, the mining code, that is a 2018 mining code, is based on a 2002 mining code that was shaped by the World Bank. So there is clearly a need for all these actors to like support the DRC government, provide the DRC government with feedback on what could be done and what should be done. And I think this will, will actually be positive on the long term. I'm not absolutely not arguing for a very short-term change that is not possible. But I think on the long term, it will be very positive. The mining industry is, of course, important to the economy of the DRC. Do you worry at all that the focus that we're putting on unfair labor practices in the mines that are operated in that manner might create a negative image of the entire industry and thereby actually hurt the economy, the DRC, if everybody sees all the mines as being tainted when in fact they're not? I don't think that in the case of cobalt, this is a major issue for the simple reason that the DRC provides 70% of the world's cobalt. So there is no other sources of cobalt that are as large as the DRC's. So for now, it is not an issue. I do understand the logic behind this fear, but Let's not forget that like, natural resources will not leave the subsoil of Congo. So like, if companies want to have these resources, they have to go to Congo and they have to buy and sell the cobalt, gold or copper that is produced in the country. And the focus on, on all these risks has not really changed the dynamics of the, in the mining industry in, in Congo. We have seen in the past few years a growth in the mining industry. So like, I do not believe that these discussions are actually like, hurting the Congolese economy. Well, we will look for further research and intelligence coming from the Responsible Sourcing Network as well as the entities that it partners with to help us understand what's going on in the mining industry in the Congo and with cobalt and other minerals as well. But in the meantime, Raphael de Baer, thank you so much for sharing these insights of the study and for being with me today explaining the issue. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, Bob, and thank you, everybody, for listening. That was my conversation with Raphael de Baer of the Responsible Sourcing Network, talking about human rights in the cobalt mines of the DRC. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain also watch videos on our YouTube channel. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.